Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. They understood that with age came wisdom, right? Well, in some cases, uh, we, you know, in other cases, it doesn't. Sometimes I still make the same mistakes I have for years. But the elders of the synagogue were put in places of responsibility of leadership. Well, in the same way, uh, when it came to be the Christian church, they called those elders who had responsibility. Many times, yes, through age, they were as elders, but sometimes just in maturity in Christ. You can have a young elder, in other words. He could be very mature in Christ and still be a young man, just as we can have some that are old in age and yet not mature. Amen? While some positions of authority might appear as though old age is a requirement, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily true. Whether we think of senators, presidents, or even the Pope, it's not necessarily their age that grants them this specific position. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us some of the key characteristics that make people eligible for leadership. In our study, we learn that while old age is often a sign of experience and wisdom, those of a youthful age are just as likely to lead. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, The Call of the Overseer, part one. Well, as the growth of the church uh, moved on and, and it became much more than simply a segment of Judaism, you know, the Jews that came to know Messiah. And so, yeah, we're all Jews, but that group over there, that, that's the ones that worship that Rabbi Jesus as a Messiah. Well, as it grew, more and more Gentiles started coming into the flock of Christianity, and the church began to change. It changed in appearance, it changed in actions, and yes, it even changed in the administration, how the church worked, how it pulled together. Even in her earliest years, the church needed to have some kind of recognized leadership within the individual fellowships. Now, in some cases, that took the form of a single pastor, one individual that, that uh, again, oversaw that church. But also, in other cases, there is a plurality of leadership with two, three, four, or, or, or more others that were joining together in that work and in that area of responsibilities over the church. Now, the position of the overseer of the church, of that local body, was a very serious one, and it is today. Whether you call them uh, the overseer, an elder, or a pastor, the responsibility is a very serious one. It's a great responsibility both before God as well as before man, and it's for that very reason that when Paul sent Timothy and Titus out, he told them to go and, and set in order 
the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city. Now that passage is found in Titus, but the the same word, the same concept he gave to Timothy because we know that Timothy, again, had to bring things into order and he gives Timothy the directions and the responsibilities or the requirements for those that are called as here, we'll, we'll look in a moment in chapter three, verse one, called as bishops. And so as we get into chapter three of 1 Timothy, we read where Paul's instructions to him uh, gave the requirements of those that would serve as bishops or overseers. Let's look at that this morning real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 3, the first seven verses. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. And a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable and able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to take care or rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. And moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, those outside the church, outside of faith. Those who are on the outside, he has to have a good testimony, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, before we go too far, we need to understand some terminology. I need to clarify some of the terminology that's going to be used today because throughout the New Testament, uh, in particular the the book of Acts, uh, the writings of Paul, even the writings of, of Peter, there are words that are going to be used and in these cases a number of these words or these terms are interchangeable. In some cases the, the Greek word that, that is actually being written, uh, they're, they're totally different. In some cases there's only a few slight little changes. But each of these terms are used to designate or describe individuals who appear to have, in essence, the same position, the same calling, and and the same responsibility. They're just at different times called by different things within the first century church. These terms come by way of the the first one is bishop, as as Paul writes here in the first uh, verse of that position of bishop comes from the Greek word episkopos. And uh, within the writings of Paul in the noun form, uh, that word is actually used five different times and it's translated each time as bishop. In the book of Acts, however, it's used once in chapter 20 where Paul actually comes and he's speaking to the Ephesian elders and Ephesus is the church that Timothy is uh, pastoring here. But as he's speaking to these elders, he tells them that the Holy Spirit has made them episkopos, not bishops, but this time it's translated as overseers. So same word, but translated different because of the concept, because of the context of what's being used. Now, in the same way, Peter uses the, this word, episkopos, and, or a form of it, uh, the first time in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. And here he's actually describing Jesus as the shepherd, the poeman, we'll look at that in a moment, and the overseer, the episkopos of our souls, Jesus being the overseer of our souls. 1 Peter 5, 2 
He called where, again, he's speaking to the elders. He tell, Peter writes to them and he says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as episkopos, the overseers. Now, as a matter of fact, overseer seems to be used pretty much as the word that describes what the bishop does. So he is a bishop, that is his responsibility. His responsibility is as an overseer, but it is the same word, episkopos, or a form of it for both the, the noun, the, the bishop, as well as what he does as an overseer. The next word that we're going to look at is actually the word elders, presbyteros. Now, before you get bogged down in this, some of you say, wow, I didn't know that I was coming to a Greek class this morning. I, I want to give you these because it's very important that you understand that though they are differing words within your Bible, that actually we're going to see in a moment, they actually describe the same thing. So I'm kind of laying a foundation for you. So bear with us, and uh, again, we'll, we'll let you out of school before lunchtime. So. But elders, presbyteros. And again, this is by far the, the, the most common word that's used for those that are in leadership positions within the church. It speaks both of age. We see the elders of the synagogues in Jewish tradition. The elders had responsibility because they understood that with age came wisdom, right? Well, in some cases, uh, we, you know, in other cases it doesn't. Sometimes I still make the same mistakes I have for years. But the elders of the synagogue were put in places of responsibility of leadership. Well, in the same way, uh, when it came to be the Christian church, they called those elders who had responsibility. And many times, yes, through age they were as elders, but sometimes just in maturity in Christ. You can have a young elder, in other words. He could be very mature in Christ and still be a young man, just as we can have some that are old in age and yet not mature. Amen? Okay, some of you know those people. The next one that we have is actually the, the words used for pastors or shepherds, poimen. And again, the, the Ephesians 4.11 is actually lists that as a position or an office within the church. Acts 20.28 20, and 1 Peter 5.2 speaks of that responsibility of these shepherds or of these pastors as feeding or shepherding the flock of God. And so as a matter of fact, in Acts 20, when Paul is speaking to the elders in Ephesus, or from Ephesus, speaking on the shoreline there. He calls them down to meet with him on his way back to Jerusalem. We actually see all of these terms being used for the same individuals. Look at this from, again, Acts chapter 20. The word tells us that from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called for the presbyteros, the, the elders of the church. Then we drop down to verse 28. Paul tells them, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you the episcopos, the, the bishops or the overseers. You're to shepherd, poimenos, to pastor the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, and I say all that to, to say to you that that position of the spiritual leader within the church actually takes many names, bishop, elder, overseer and pastor, but in essence, they're all the same function. It's all the same calling. It's all the same responsibility within the first century church. 
okay, within the first century church. Now, we can definitely argue that today in the modern church, uh, the, the church uses these terms pretty much as distinct and separate offices. The bishop is the one that gets to wear the funny hat, and uh, the, the pastor is the guy that's pastoring, and then there's elders that, again, serve the body. We use them in different ways. But in the first century church, they were interchangeable, all the same guys. It wasn't until, again, more of a hierarchy was developed within the church, which is not necessarily a good thing. But in staying true to the written word of God and not simply the traditions of men, we're going to try and look at and, and, and not only these words, but we're going to look at them in the usage within the first century church. That's where I want our minds to go back to, the purity of what the word is declaring, not the tradition of man that some of you may uh, have, have been under or grew up under. We want to look and see, okay, what is the word saying? So what are the requirements that Paul is setting forth for these men? I believe that it's very important for us to understand it's not just this guy, but again, we see these words, whether it be the, the bishop, the pastor, the elder, he's saying these things to him. So let's begin there in chapter 3 of First Timothy. And Paul says, this is a faithful saying that if a man desires the position of bishop, he desires a good work. Now, Paul, the first thing he does, he, he commends the guy that desires that position of leadership. He says he desires a good work. So often through, through the years, I, I've heard a very foolish statement that if a guy desires to be a leader, that's the guy you don't want as a leader. Or if a guy really desires to be pastor, oh no, no, you don't want, you want him to be pulled, you know, scratching and, and digging in by the Holy Spirit into leadership because, again, you don't want him to have the wrong attitude. Well, I understand where they're coming from, but actually, Paul commends the guy. He says, hey, you know, that's commendable. Somebody feels led and desires to be a leader. That's a good thing. And, and I see Paul, again, in, encouraging that. The concern, though, is the motivation or the reasoning behind the desire. If the desire is to lord it over some, hey, I want to be a pastor so I can be in charge. I want to, I want to, I want to have charge. I want to have control. I want, I want to be the commanding guy. I want to be the guy up front. That's what I want to do. Then we know, hey, you know what? The, the motivation's all wrong. Or, or maybe, hey, I want to be a pastor because, I mean, after all, all I got to do is prepare a couple of Bible studies during the week. They pay me full time. What a cush job that is. Glad you laughed, okay, because I'm afraid some of you were wondering, well, isn't that what it is? No, that is not what it is. This is the easy part of the job, actually. Uh, all the rest of it, uh, boy, okay. But anyway, if, if that's the wrong idea, it's the wrong motivation. The inspiration and the desire to be a pastor, an elder, a bishop, a leader within the church has to come from the Holy Spirit. It's got to be a willingness to actually serve people. And if God has placed those under your care, then again, that's your responsibility. But unless the Spirit of God calls a man into that position, he'll never be fully useful in the kingdom of God. Oh, he may be a great speaker, he might be a great motivator, but for the kingdom of God, it becomes a useless work. 
He'll continually be led by his emotions or by the whims of man. Well, I, I want to stay popular, so I've got to say everything that everybody wants to hear. And if I, if I ruffle people's feathers too much, I, I might lose my job, so I've got to make sure that I say the right thing at the right time to the right people. All of that will, will bring great problems and, and many times destruction to the church by a man who is not called, not gifted, and not placed there by the Holy Spirit. The desire is good, but the desire is not enough. There needs to be an equipping There needs to be a calling within their life that comes from the very throne room of God. The desire is good, but the desire is not enough because there are also requirements. Requirements, again, that are set forth within the word of God, just as Paul gives us here. And as a matter of fact, Paul in in 1 Timothy chapter 3 there, he gives us 17 different requirements that he has listed. When he writes to Titus again in Titus, he says, for elders, this is the deal, but understand the the combination of those words. Believe he's in essence saying the same thing. There's 18 different requirements. Now, if you try to lay these two side by side, what what he says in Timothy and what he says in Titus, you're going to see two things. Number one, that the lists are very similar, very similar. But the second thing you're going to find out is they're not exactly the same. There's some differences. And I say that to help you to understand, like many of the lists that the Apostle Paul gives us, rather that be the gifts of the Spirit as he lists in Corinthians and Romans and Ephesians, they're, they're not all the same. There's a difference. There's a variance. Again, they're not all inclusive. There are differences. And as such, We need to be very careful not to get too dogmatic about some of these issues. And in some of these issues, in some of these cases, there can be other specific qualifications that are added as the need arises, as the the, the nature of the community arises. You know, he doesn't have anything either in Timothy or Titus about uh, that a bishop or an elder should not be uh, addicted to gambling. Or a, a you know, we, we could list several other things, but, but the fact is, you look and say, yeah, well, that, that, that would be something we wouldn't want somebody serving our church that's addicted to gambling and says, that's okay, I'm going to take the offering. I've got a great deal. Uh, I know in Vegas I can double it or nothing. So, uh, no, you don't want that guy, okay? So, again, we, we see that by and large, we, we want, I want you to see here, Paul is setting forth a, a principle. He's setting forth a a standard of of character for those individuals, for those men that are going to stand before God's people as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, a principle and a character. And again, Paul gives us here and, and also in Titus, it's not simply a checklist to go through. Okay, yeah, he matches that one. He matches that one. He matches that one. Oh, he's a little light on this one, but he's like over in abundance on this one. So that all balances out. He scored 90 out of 100. Yeah, he's the guy. It's, it's not a checklist mentality. It is a principle and a character of the individual that we're looking at. And when you look at these qualifications, by and large, we can see that the lists are actually valid for any individual believer. It's not just for the elders. Every one of us as as believers in Christ, we ought to be blameless. 
We ought to be temperate. We ought to be sober-minded. We ought to be of good behavior, and on and on we go. These are, these are characteristics as believers you and I need to have. So again, but those that desire to be placed in a position of leadership as a bishop, as an elder, as a pastor, as an overseer, the characteristics within their lives, these characteristics need to be consistent, clearly consistent, both to the church and to the outside world. The world needs to look at the leadership of the church and says, okay, they, they have an individual there that whether they go through a checklist or not, it's someone that they can see, man, that, that guy has integrity. That man has, again, a, a direction in his life that I can see, again, he has responsibility. So with that in mind, Let's try and get a more complete understanding, again, of, of what Paul is, is setting forth here to Timothy, to the church at Ephesus, to the first century church, and also look at it today, the 21st century church, where we find ourselves. So one last thing. I don't believe that Paul has put these things in any order of importance, that, uh, hey, this one being blameless, that that's the most important thing. But it is interesting that both in Timothy and in Titus, that whole idea that the bishop must be blameless is the very first one that we look at. And the Greek word that's used here for the meaning uh, of, of being blameless is being above reproach. In other words, there's no way that someone can bring an accusation to this man. There's no way that somebody's going to bring blame to this man. In other words, there's nothing within the individual's character that would open them up for accusations or give ground for any charges against their life. I love how one commentator put it. He, he did the, the history of that word that they use for blameless. And he says, in early, early Greek, the word actually uh, described a wrestler that would not allow his opponent to grab a hold of him, did not allow him any open spots to be able to snag him. And so that's the kind of the same concept that in leadership, again, you don't want to give the enemy any kind of an opportunity for any open shots or any open areas of being able to snag you. Now, being blameless, the next characteristic is one that's actually caused much consternation, a lot of misunderstanding, and a lot of fret through the years. Paul says that the bishop must be the husband of one wife, the husband of one wife. Now, gang, through different denominations, through church groups, through commentators through the years, they've interpreted this in a variety of ways. The unfortunate reality is I don't believe that all of them have really remained true to the biblical context, nor true and unbiased in their literary interpretation. What does that word mean? What does it mean within the context? And believe me, as I've looked at this, the, the, the interpretations, they run a, a full course of, of understanding. They're all over the map. First of all, some believe, okay, an elder or a bishop, he has to be married. In other words, a single guy can't be a pastor or can't be an elder. You gotta be married. Paul says, you gotta be the husband of one wife. So you have to be married. Others of them, they look at that and say, well, he can't even be a widower at that point in time. And what's really weird is I looked at this, different commentators, and through the years, the church in different ways, were all over on this thing. Some say, well, we don't want a man to be a widower unmarried because 
He has to be married. He has to be the husband of a wife. So if he's a widower, he needs to get married. And then on the other side over here is the church that says, well, no, if he was a widower, that means he had a wife before, and now he's getting a second wife. So now he's the husband of two wives. So no, he can't get married. And so it's so confusing. And they, they were literally at odds with each other. We're so glad you joined us today for The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. If you've enjoyed today's message and would like to listen again, just visit TheOpenWord.com. There are several other teachings that we encourage you to download, share, and listen to anywhere you go. We know it can be hard to find time in this busy world to sit and study the Bible in depth, but we've tried to make it a little easier. Pastor David's insights into God's Word can be taken with you on the go, filling those pauses in your day with promises and truth. We're so glad we can provide these Bible studies for you through the ministry of The Open Word. We'd like to ask you, though, to be a part of what we're doing here. With more information, here's Pastor David. I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word. And God has given us a vision to see the ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Pastor David. There's much more to learn from the book of 1 Timothy, so tune in again to Pastor David's teaching on The Open Word. 